Welcome to the How To Business Show. I am your host, Samuel West, with my co-host team, Dylan Gillison and Matt Wilson. On this episode, we welcome Dan Pellisier. Dan is a 20-year veteran of the commercial real estate community, having led regional, national, and international growth for brands such as The Home Depot, PPG Paints, Liquor Barn, Qdoba, and Jack in the Box. In Dan's current role, he serves as a senior director of real estate for the Georgia-based company Zaxby's. Having joined this iconic brand in November 2020, Dan has been instrumental in designing and implementing the brand's national growth plan, which has helped propel the brand into 910 units in 17 states. In this past December of 2020, Zaxby's was acquired by major investor Goldman Sachs. Since that launch, Dan is tasked with targeting significant incremental growth over the next five to seven years. Dan lives in Louisville, Kentucky with his wife, Leanne, and their three children. Welcome to the show. Damn. All right, cheers. Cool. Cheers, everybody. There yeah. we go. Perfect. Mm. <sighs> Damn, that's good. I've needed that since noon. <laughs> Damn, that is good. I've never had it before. It's really good. Yeah, it's it is. very oh. smooth. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And it's a pain in the ass to try to find, too. Mm. Yeah, a couple times a year it comes around, but, like, there was, a, a you know, any more liquor stores around here, how they upcharge. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just crazy. I would never pay for what liquor stores sell it for, so I got lucky. So just yeah. so our listeners know, we're listen, we're, we, we just sipped on some uh, 1792 sweet wheat. Tell me a little bit about that, Matt, because I don't know much about this. Um, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, 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 let me, let me, it, it just tastes good. Let yeah. me read the back. Yeah, let me read, let me read the back. Uh, here, yeah, edit, edit all that stuff out. It's funny you ask, Sam. It's actually crafted with sweet and delicate wheat instead of the more traditional rye. This bourbon is quite distinctive from most, actually. Anything else you'd like to know? No, that, that's, that's great. Well, it's, it's funny. I just got back from a hunting trip in South Texas. Mm-hmm. I was there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and was with a bunch of guys who were big bourbon guys. And we were driving around in the middle of nowhere, kind of in between hunts, and we, we just started stopping at every little shitty liquor store we could find. Yeah. And we didn't find anything, but it was like, you know, it's kind of a cool little hunting, like that kind of a hunting trip. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, just yeah. – because you never you never know what you're gonna find yeah. hunt, in the hunt. most random places. Right. Yeah. Hunt, hunting while you're you're hunting. We got a meeting next week and it's a ways away. And we were talking about doing the same thing. Dude, yeah. yeah. You plot yeah. it out. You go to liquor stores. My father-in-law got a liter, like a liter of Weller Twelve in Litchfield, Kentucky, mm-hmm. paid and paid retail price for it. Yeah. Think yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I was like, golly, you never know. You got to walk into them, man. Yeah. 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 Shit. Yeah. Happy hunting. Yeah. We were down in the Bahamas uh, for spring break. I don't know, five, four or five years ago. And, of course, we hit the liquor store on the yeah. way to the resort. And oh. I, I walked in, and I saw the most Blantons I have <laughs> yeah. ever seen in my entire life. Just like, a stack of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and, like, the Blantons that's got the gold top. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to do here. I could buy <laughs> all of this, but I have no way of getting it home. And if You I could take one bottle home, right? Is that what it is? Or two? Yeah, but... I mean, yeah. you, well, you, what, one per person, you stuff it in all your kids' suitcases. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's her. That's her. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's hers. Why? Right. Yeah. Never seen this why juice this, before. Why with is this horse. bourbon in the Mickey Mouse suitcase? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't judge. I don't judge. Well, th- thanks again for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Sure. So thanks let me ask me. you a question. How did you get started in corporate real estate and, and, and kind of, you know, your path and sure. to where you ended up with Zaxby's? So um, I, I went to school at University of Kentucky, yeah. and uh, 
I, I mean, just like most college kids or most high school kids back then, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I was terrible at math, um, but really had no clue. And so I had worked for a, a landscaper all through high school, like most high school kids do. And um, my parents were like, well, why don't you go into landscape architecture? Sounds kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, not understanding that I was about to get into the hardest five-year program that UK has to offer. Yeah, and so I got in and um, didn't do very well. But what I figured, I figured out I was better at the business part of it than I was the design. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually, in my in the midway through my fourth year, the dean of the department actually told me that I should probably go find something else to do. And I'm like, man, I've been here for almost four years. and You waited till now? I'm like, yeah, right. I'm like, dad, dad didn't pay in for seven years of college. So, um, so I stuck it out. But, and I got a job uh, with a landscape architecture firm down in Atlanta. And just, you know, it took a year for me to really figure out that that's not what I wanted to do. But, you know, just like everything, like that job led to the next job, which was, you know, doing site plans for um, for Home Depot and Target anchored shopping centers, and that was with a consulting firm that also did development consulting for right. Target, Whole Foods, Home Depot, and so I, I quickly rose through the ranks, and within three years, I was basically running Home Depot's southeastern development pipeline, mm-hmm. and so that really got me hooked. I remember when Home Depot, this is a true story, had restaurants in it, Fuddruckers. Really? Yeah. They were open 24 hours a day, and they had a Fuddruckers in them. True story. Really? Yep, in Atlanta. Huh. Yeah, they weren't even public yet. That's when I was down in Atlanta. That was probably back before Walmart was doing McDonald's. That's exactly right. Yeah. It was, yeah. God, I'm showing my age. Shit. It's okay. I just missed the hot dogs there. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that enough. No, they don't do that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, um, you know, that got me the, the commercial real estate bug. And um, really liked retail. Of course, I was doing, like, the biggest retail deals at the greatest period of time right. for big box development. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so at the time I, I was with that firm for gosh, from 2001 to 2008. And, um, at that point in time, my wife, who's from Louisville, she, we had talked about moving back up here when we wanted to start a family. And, uh, it, it just so happened that, you know, we, we made that decision at, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning in Nashville on New Year's after going to the yeah. Music City Bowl. And so it was like, wow, this is a great time to make a life-altering decision. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I decided that I was going to get my resume and get, get my shit together. And um, I honestly, I had a job in 30 days up wow. here with Faulkner Real Estate. And, uh, of course, that was in uh, – February of 2008, yeah, which was an awesome time to go into private development. <laughs> and, um, and only, only up from there, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Couldn't have gotten any worse. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I they hired me as a director of development, and um, over four years there, I pretty much did everything but development, mm. uh, just based on the climate of the times. But it taught me a lot about the business, and so, um, but I, I had always wanted to get back into retail. I loved retail and corporate development. Yeah. Um, some people love it. Some people hate it. You know, I, I love it. Yeah. What'd you love about it? I don't, I, I love being able to build something and, you know, take, take a pipeline from, from ideas and inception all the way through vertical construction and, and generating sales. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's one thing to do deals, but it's another to, to basically be the inside guy that makes sure the deals get done and actually gets to, to reap the benefits of that corporate growth. Mm. So, um, so I, from there, I, um, I took a job as national real estate manager with uh, PPG Paints. Yep. At the time, they were Porter Paints. Um, and um, basically ran, I don't know, 75% of their development pipeline. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, was, I, did, I did deals from Seattle to Portland, Maine. Mm. And uh, I, I actually, I had the entire Caribbean too. Yeah. So I was, it, it wasn't a bad gig. I was in Puerto Rico once a month. And, um, <laughs> and, and talk about a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, mm-hmm. I had to renegotiate 15 leases in Puerto Rico and one of them was with uh, the landlord was the CEO of Telemundo, Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. And um, it was it was an interesting negotiation. I basically had to th- I, I had to make some veiled threats of, you know, us just up and leaving mm-hmm. just to get him to even call me back. Yeah. And then even to start a negotiation, I had to I had to. So, and I had to submit a, an insulting lowball offer mm-hmm. on, a, on a renewal, mm-hmm. and he was pissed. Yeah, and you got know, his attention that way. When he invites you into his office, and his head of security is standing next to him, armed, and I'm there. <laughs> He's got cigars on everywhere. He's crazy. Oh, yeah, I mean, it yeah. was like something out of like Narcos. Uh, <laughs> and and, uh, and so we got the deal done. And it, I mean, I learned <laughs> I learned how to do a lot of things. I learned how not to do a couple things, mm-hmm. but. Um, but yeah, so that was a cool experience. And then, um, you know, was one looking to go anywhere, and uh, I was lured away by uh, the parent company of Liquor Barn. Okay. And uh, they were out of Western Canada. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where I was, man, that was, so that was 20, that was 2015. So I was, what, my late 30s? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sweet, you know, I, I love the brand. Um, they hired me as a senior VP of real estate over all of North America. And mm. being that they were based in Canada, they had 300 liquor stores up there versus the 22 they had here. Jeez. Wow. And, um, and so that it was highly educational for, for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. Um, did you gain anything from like the home Depot, big box stuff that helped? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really what they liked about me. Yeah. Um, what, what they didn't like about me was when I told them that they, they couldn't realize their development trajectory because of all of the, the, all, of all the idiosyncrasies to, to liquor retailing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But, um, as my dad told me, um, everybody should get fired once. So, um, <laughs> talk about not liking some advice, right? Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I was able to, to bounce back from that and, and landed with Qdoba and Jack in the Box and, mm. uh, and was there for five years mm. uh, run, running their real estate for basically half the country. Yeah. And, uh, was again, wasn't really looking to go anywhere. Uh, Jack in the Box spun off Qdoba, and, uh, and I was one of two real estate managers handling everything for, for that brand. Yeah. Mm. And, I mean, that, that was a 2,200-unit brand. Jeez. And, um you know, I uh, uh, something that happened during my time there, which was probably one of the biggest achievements of my career, was obviously you know COVID hit, yeah. and I had to lead a team of uh, talk about cross functional. I had to I had to train mm-hmm. architects on how to negotiate rent reductions because we had 1,900 leases that we had to 
either get rent reductions on or rent deferrals on. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that's a lot of leases. Yeah. And, and we had to do it in like 90 days. Oh my gosh. And so, so how do you like with, when you talk about numbers like that, like, you know, thousands over a thousand, I mean, how do you keep your thumb on the pulse of all of those things? Like what's the secret sauce to that? Um, a, a big ass spreadsheet and yeah. working <laughs> eight days a week. <laughs> um, no, it, I mean, it was just constant coordination. We did for, for almost 120 days, we did nothing else than mm. that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we ended up, we ended up renegotiating probably 77% and we saved the company over 15 and a half million dollars. Wow. And, um, and we, and it was all predicated on savings over, over a 90 to 120 day period paid back over 90, I think 90 days. Yeah. So it was, it was a, it was a savings over a period of time that was basically a break even in the long term. but it got, it got us and our franchisees through a period of time that we thought was going to be really really hard mm -hmm. <laughs> we ended up doing really well we didn't really need those right. savings but yeah. you know at the time it was a you know we were trying to put out the fires so let me ask you this <clears throat> going doing big box and then going into these small qsr fast casual environments you know what i mean did that correlate with you was that just a big transition because i mean big box i mean you're looking major square footages either yeah. you know shopping centers now you're into like small environments mm -hmm. in cases yeah absolutely I mean, that had to be, I mean, I guess from your standpoint, what was easier for you or what was probably the most difficult for you? So I, th I think the, the biggest advantage that, it, that, that I had going from big box to, to small freestanding was just, you know, you look at everything for, for a larger big box development. Yeah. Everything's bigger. Everything's yeah. harder. Everything takes longer and everything's more expensive. And so when it comes to lease negotiation, you know, probably some of the most arduous lease negotiation I've ever <laughs> undertaken. Um, permitting. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we're trying to do a deal down in, I think it was down in West Palm, and at the time they were, I mean, we had people at our zoning hearings basically yeah. picketing you know, comparing Home Depot to Osama bin Laden. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, it was just a little bit of a harsh, you know, hostile Comparison, environment. Yeah. 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 So, you know, you learned how, you learned how municipalities worked. Mm -hmm. You learned how permitting worked. Um, and you were doing it kind of under the harshest conditions possible. Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, fast forward to today, it's like, all right, well, we, we've got to get this, you know, hard corner permitted for, you know, a, use that it's already with Zaxby's right right yeah. a, a use that it's already approved for but we just have to go through the the general approvals process yeah and it's like oh we need a conditional use permit that's easy you know mm -hmm. and and but you know having that bigger picture really hardcore experience in the beginning mm -hmm. really set the stage for it okay like you learn all the workarounds yeah you, you learn you know if if you're not getting the answer you want from the planner you know, you, you go one or two steps above the planner and, right. you know, you learn how to circumvent the, the problems to get to the solution that you need. Mm. Interesting. So let me ask you this. If, if I wanted to, this is a how to business show. So we have folks that are just wanting to know if they want to get into franchising. Okay. Mm. And obviously they need, you know, there's a, there's a step-by-step, -step, but from your experience, you know, what is the advantage of being a franchisee versus being an independent? And do you recommend folks that if they want to get into, especially the QSR, or the fast casual space, mm -hmm. being a franchise, or do you think it's better off doing kind of their own thing? What's your thoughts? You know, I, I think it lies 
wherever your passion is. Right. Um, you know, if I look at our franchisees and I look at who the successful franchisees are and, and who the unsuccessful franchisees are mm-hmm. or, or the not as successful, um, you know, you've got, you've got to have a heart for hard work. Mm-hmm. And I think that that transcends whether it's franchise or independent. Okay. Um, you know, with it, if you want to get into the restaurant space, obviously, you know, working with a franchisor gives you a lot of advantage because you have a lot of resources at your disposal through the franchisor that you don't necessarily have through an independent that you, you know, make up right. your so own brand. Right. Yeah, yourself yeah, on the back you. of a napkin. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, we offer... We have, as I've told you guys, yeah. we have a national broker and developer network that from the time that a franchisee signs on to develop, that network is at their disposal. Uh, we have an analytics platform that for $1,100 a year, any franchisee can purchase a license for and run their own sales forecast, do their own market optimization, and, and really track all their own deals. Mm. Um, that's something that the independent may not need because they're only going to maybe open one, two restaurants maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's just that added level of, you know, of infrastructure that we can offer them that they don't have to house within their group. The yeah. thing with the, a lot of times with the, with franchisees is it's the upfront cost Yeah, for that. I mean, are there programs for people that want to get into franchisees to kind of get in? I mean, cause we, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. What kind of programs would you think do you, do you know of, or you would I mean, think? you know, from a financing standpoint, yeah. there are, there are, finance arms out there that specialize in, in franchisee right. lending. Mm-hmm. Obviously the SBA program is, is one of those. Um, they don't specialize, but that's clearly falls within their purview. Um, you know, it's it, right today. Money's very cheap, right? I don't know how long it's going to stay that cheap, mm-hmm. but um, you know, we can just to, to give you guys an example our, our typical development is around $2 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's basic. That's, that's inclusive of real estate to a certain degree. Um, if we did a build to suit, uh, if, if the company took down the property, either in ground lease or in, or in fee, um, we could do a build to suit back to a franchisee. And basically they'd be looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred and, Fifty to one hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year in rent. Mm-hmm. The only out-of-pocket expense they would have w- would be to purchase our FF and E, and that they can get a loan for that with twenty percent down. Yeah. So they're oh, wow. so they're walking into a brand new restaurant for eighty thousand bucks. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. that's I mean, great. And and our franchise fees are thirty-five thousand per restaurant. Right. Half paid up front, half paid when the restaurant opens. That's so you know you're talking about you know, under $125,000 investment in cash mm-hmm. to open a restaurant with AUVs in the mid twos. Wow. See, as an independent, you can't do that. No. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you're, you're reinventing you, yourself. You're for reinventing five yourself years. and you're spending a half a million dollars mm-hmm. just to even get to that, even close to something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and you've got, you've got the, the operational support from the yeah. franchisor. I mean, we have, I think of all of our franchisees, you know, we have, we have some franchisees who have restaurants, 20, 20 restaurants and above. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our largest group has 38 units, mm-hmm. and, and they're growing, and they're going to, by acquisition, they'll have 50 very likely by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but our average operator has, I think, five. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, have, we have a handful that have one. 
Uh, but you know, they're right around in that in that five to seven range. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got a lot of franchisees. We've got nine hundred and twelve restaurants, but you know, we're we're and, and of those nine hundred and twelve, only hundred and forty six are corporate. Mm-hmm. So eighty five percent of the restaurants out there are are operated by franch- franchisees and the vast majority are the smaller guys. Yeah. So what's like your, your value proposition that when you go out to market and you want to add operators into a market you need to grow into, I know you guys have some aggressive, you know, growth goals, you know, like, like what does that communication look like? So it's, it's funny that you bring up the value proposition. We are actually in the middle of some strategic planning where we're completely revamping our franchise value proposition. Um, it's that, that term and what that term means was never something that was contemplated by the company. Mm. Um, we've the company's been around for 31 years. Yeah. And for 30 years, it was run by the two founders. And within that, in that 30 years, the franchise community was built off of their, their families, their friends, their insurance agents, their, their lenders. Right. Um, mm. And so, you know, they never really had to have that. Yeah. Um, we, until this year, we've never had a franchise marketing budget mm. because we never had to really market to bring in new franchisees. Yeah. So the, the face of how we go about recruitment and, and that value proposition mm-hmm. is completely changing. I mean, it will be night and day difference this time next year. Yeah. With third-party delivery, and this is a question I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you the other day, and I forgot to ask you, but – with third-party delivery and, and with kind of these, I, I don't want to say ghost kitchens because Zaxby's is not a ghost kitchen, but yeah, not, yeah absolutely. Are you is is locate and it's always been location, 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 right? Are you guys looking at even, I guess, monetizing some locations that you might not have picked before because you know you've got a third-party radius around it? Like for example, like it, it doesn't meet this, you know, this traffic count criteria, right? Mm-hmm. But it's in this radius, and we can get delivery around there. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys look at more toward that? Do you look at more when you're looking today? Today we're not. Okay. But, and and that's only because third party delivery is a very small percentage of our business. Okay. I can see that happening in the future. Our mm-hmm. our our the goal that internally we're striving for in over the next twelve months is somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen to twenty percent um, third party delivery. Okay. Mm-hmm. So right now we're in single digits. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't make sense to to put so many of your eggs in that basket yeah. when looking at locations. Um, but I, c- I could absolutely see that happening. Okay. And ghost, ghost kitchens is something that we're looking at currently, oh, really? uh, at least to roll out in a couple of very strategic markets just to test. Yeah. And, and I know ghost kitchens is kind of two sides to that coin. There are brands that are looking to do ghost kitchens under their own brand, but I know there are brands that rent out kitchen space <laughs> for other brands to have their own ghost kitchen. So any, uh, yeah, I was, I was actually just reading about um, Guy Fieri has, I think he's got like 300 restaurants uh, uh, like across different brands Yeah, and his ghost kitchens, half of them are in the back of house at Buca de Beppo. Yeah. 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 And that's not one of his brands <laughs> and he just pays them rent. Yeah. And it's, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how all that works. Like I, I don't understand how you can, you can make food for multiple brands out of the same kitchen with the same employees. Like I just, I, in the same, so it's so, yeah. 
you know, counterintuitive to me. Right. Yeah. And you gotta have the you gotta have the right ingredients, right? Yeah. Because if not, you gotta bring special ingredients in. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why burgers and chicken. You always see them on Ghost Kitchen. Ghost Kitchen. Oh, yeah. It's just burgers, chicken. Then they got pasta down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, it's a Five Guys, Wendy's, and a uh, <laughs> McDonald's or something. Is Big Macs everywhere? <laughs> right. The the guy who started Super Chefs, he started in the back of a restaurant. It was right. a it was a dinner restaurant, and he was a breakfast restaurant. So. Yeah. When they were closed in the morning, that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and and he's he's famous now. He's yeah. made national news. Of this is dude who makes breakfast food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same with uh, isn't that, that uh, Beast Burger, Mister Beast Burger, or something? It's um, a similar it's, story. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't remember. It, it's not Beast. It's like Mister Killer, Killer Burger. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Or it's burgers are going to be like chicken. We, yeah, I mean, we, we pulled up a DoorDash app. We figured it out. <laughs> there, there might be uh, right across the street at the Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Dude, now those are popping up everywhere. Mexican restaurant. I mean, yeah. seriously, think yeah. about the. I mean, if you look at the restaurant landscape, I mean, we're seeing more. If you, if you step back and you don't realize it, you're seeing more Mexican restaurants mm-hmm. in 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 urban areas than we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And we've seen them. We've had a lot of them. Yeah. But think about it. Yeah. And my question is this: How does a Mexican restaurant? Have like thirty restaurants in one area, and make the it just it just doesn't make sense how they can make. Is there that much demand for Mexican restaurants? Low cost know. of goods. Yeah, that, <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah but a, I mean, it's, it's refried beans and chicken and no, I get that right. But yeah. I mean, they're staffed, right? Yeah. So I mean, obviously, I think I just think, and I I noticed that. So I didn't eat Mexican food until I moved to Atlanta and met my wife. All right. Uh, I my parents, we had the most boring menu growing up ever but um but living in atlanta yeah i mean I, I just when i started eating mexican food i couldn't believe how many mexican restaurants there were yeah and but i also couldn't believe how every single person i knew loved mexican food mm-hmm. and i think that's consistent today yeah i mean look at the fast casual concepts you know yeah. chipotle Mo's. Mo's. i love me some Mo's, man you know <laughs> Yeah. But, I, you know, we think about when we get into franchising in, the, in that space, right? When we get into restaurants. Yeah. I mean, when's enough going to be enough? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, like, when, when when supply exceeds demand. Well, I mean, we, we saw with COVID, we had, we kind of lost, you know, we, we got rid of the low-hanging fruit is what yeah. I call it, right? Yeah. You know, as people fell off, you know. Yeah. 120,000 yeah. restaurants in, what, yeah. two years? Yeah. Yeah. Think about Approximately. it. Approximately. And, you know, we look at, you know, look at brand like Zaxby's. You guys are picking back up growth, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously. You know, but Zaxby's has always been a Southeast brand. It's just, it was, it was born and bred in the Southeast, you know, yeah. and now it's expanding more Midwest, Central. I think that's yep. where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do, do you see Zaxby's being uh, in, every, in all 50 states? Man, that's a stretch. Um, I don't know because, you know, we, we, oddly enough, we have a national marketing campaign. So people in California, when they're watching March Madness or the Super Bowl or, you know, the college football playoff, they saw our ads. Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought that they was have no regional. idea who the hell we are. But, um, you know. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was regional. That yeah. was no, national. But it's yeah. national. The guy on the chicken, the, the yeah, cowboy the, the guy. The guy on a buffalo wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We're not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so could we go to California? Yeah, but the, the problem is California and New York mm-hmm. are just – they're 10,000 pound gorillas. Yeah. And you think mean from a regulation standpoint? No, I just think from a, from a size standpoint. And mm-hmm. if like, you can't just go with 
20 restaurants. Mm-hmm. You've got to go with 200. Mm-hmm. And, and our, our analytics tell us that, you know, we could do 500 in California. Yeah. Wow. And which is crazy considering we only have 900. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still don't know how accurate that 500 number is. But, yeah. you know, it's, it, you've, got to, you've got to make that jump so strategically with the right partners yeah. that, that you know can, can deliver over the long term. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the last, and, and we did it when we entered Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we entered the Dallas and Houston markets yeah. with the wrong franchisees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, have four, we had four restaurants in Dallas. We're basically not there. Yeah. Um, in Houston, we only have eight, mm. and so we're basically not there. And yeah. Houston's a, the number what number four, number five. Yeah, say in the country, it's yeah. like New York City flat. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, and so you know, do I see a time when we could be coast to coast? Maybe. Um, I think that you know we're just we. I, I love our culture. I mm-hmm. love the brand, mm-hmm. and that's why I was so when when the opportunity came about. It was a no-brainer for me, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's it. You don't always get to work for a brand that you actually mm-hmm. like the brand, like the food, like the culture. It was almost like, all right, if I would have picked something to go do, it would have been this, and I get to go do it. Wow, um, but that doesn't always translate everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, we're actually we're looking at growing into the Philadelphia market in the next probably eighteen months, mm-hmm. and I see Philad- I see the western suburbs of Philadelphia being a great litmus test for how we might translate into the Northeast. Mm. And so, if we can, if we can be successful up in that area, yeah, maybe we grow. You know, we're not going to grow into New York City, even though I I get I don't know half a dozen sites of middles in yeah. Manhattan every day. Wow, and. You know, it'd be if you guys went to New York City, you'd have to put it somewhere like in Times Square where it's touristy. Well, and that's and, and there are opportunities like that yeah. out there. But, you know, we've also from a brand standpoint, we've never thought that far outside the box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like if I if I brought design and construction a thousand square foot spot right on Times Square, they'd have no idea what to do with it. And I don't blame them. Yeah. I mean, it would be something that we would it would be a one off design from scratch like. It, it would be something like we've never done. Yeah. And, and we might get there. I mm-hmm. want to get there, but there's just so much low-hanging fruit right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've we've got, uh, of of the 900 and change, we've got probably, I think, 700, 750 are in the southeast. Yeah. We have 200 alo- alone in uh, in Atlanta. Wow. And, and the surrounding area. Yeah. I mean, Jeez, 200 in the Atlanta area. Yeah. God. You guys own that market. Mm-hmm. You and Chick Fil A, I guess. I, I, said, I said the bad word there. <laughs> no, but I, no, we can honestly, edit that part out. We can it's edit cool. that part no, out. No, it's so funny because a, a, a girl that I used to work with at uh, Qdoba is now um, she's on the real estate team at Chick, and she mess. We hadn't talked in forever, and so she messaged me over LinkedIn the other day. She's like, "Hey, I know we're supposed to be mortal am- enemies, but you know, can we catch up sometime?" And I'm like, "Lindsay, we're not mortal em- enemies. Like, we've got." I didn't tell her this, but yeah. um, we some of our highest grossing restaurants are across the street from Chick Fil A. Yeah, thank so, you. Because they're such a huge traffic driver, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's honestly like we're not following Chick around from corner to corner, right? Mm-hmm. But if Chick Fil A goes on a hard corner and there's an adjacent corner available, 
I'm probably going to look at it. Yeah. Like really hard. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially if the, the drive through lane is like, looks like it's like 30, 40 right. minutes or something like now, that. Now, thanks but, to them, they've probably doubled the price of whatever I'm looking at, but <laughs> that's a whole different story. No, but that's true, though. You know, you, you think about it in the restaurant space, they always said that, you know, competition brings more for both parties. You know, oh, yeah. it just yeah. does. Yeah. You know, and I mean, Chick-fil-A, I mean, even though, I mean, their drive through is, we got to admit, their, their drive through model is insanely, you know. I mean, it, it's it's the definition of efficiency. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's a good way of putting it. That, right. that and Portillo's. Yeah, well, Portillo's is good. I mean, <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're talking about drive through So if you put, like, even for example, you know, a Zaxby's going into there. I mean, when, when you're next to a Chick-fil-A, do you guys do the double drive through there? Uh, we are going forward. Okay. Yeah, see? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, we're, we're at, we're, I mean, we're doing that everywhere, but we, we have to. Yeah. There. Yeah. I mean, what's the average drive through time at a Zaxby's? I know that's a probably a bad question to ask. Today. 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 <laughs> what do we want? It to we be? can edit all this shit out just so you know. <laughs> I honestly I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. It's it's probably yeah. I think our our we're probably sometime somewhere minute and a half window time. That's not bad. Uh Chick is doing it in like forty five seconds. Mm. Jesus. It's an it's it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, but your your menu's bigger than Chick fil A's. It is. Yeah. I mean, it is. Think about that. Yeah. You know? And and so it's not it's not necessarily an apples and apples comparison. And our, I mean, our operational structure is totally different. Our management structure is totally different. Yep. Um, pretty much everything about the two brands is totally different, other than the chicken. Yeah. Um, and so it's yeah, you know, they're kind of the gold standard when it comes to operations and and people development. Mm-hmm. But you kind of can't compare them to the rest of the bunch because they're doing it their own way, which is phenomenal yeah um so but we've i mean we have one franchisee who used to be with chick yeah and he crushes it mm. and so you know i'm like hey mm. find us more chick-fil-a former chick-fil-a operators right yeah so. Jeez. i mean it makes sense right yeah i mean their training is great i mean i'm not I mean i'm not gonna lie to you i mean it, yeah. it really is yeah you know, we, we have a saying in our, in our work because we're business brokers and we're uh, real estate guys. We just stay away from McDonald's. We never go to McDonald's. <laughs> like we stay, we never talk, we never call it, we never coke. We just we, yeah. we don't even mess. Chick fil A is another one. We don't mess with it. Yeah. It's like their own little cult. We well, it's like their it. own little like universe. It is. It is. We, yeah. We don't even. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that you had mentioned, you know, when you're talking about market analytics, California, 500 locations. I mean, can you? elaborate on how you guys analyze markets, data points that you make a priority, stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, first and foremost, we look at where we are and where we're not. We look at where the competition is and, and where most importantly, the competition raising canes yeah. where they're not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a whole different story because they're hundred percent corporate development. Yeah. Um, but you know, w- we rely on our analytics more probably more than we ever have because our analytics have never been better. Mm. Um, so, you know, we've built over the past six months, we built a, a brand new analytics sales projection and market optimization model Okay, built off of our existing customer data. So okay. the, the company that we're using, um, they, they can geofence a customer to know whether they're in the restaurant or in the drive through wow. all by cell phone data. Mm. which is scary as shit. Yeah. But good good for us, but yeah. every time I'm in a drive-through with my kids, I look at my phone, and I want to turn, turn it off. Turn your location <laughs> services <laughs> off. I just want to turn the whole phone off. 
Um, just leave it at home. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> um, smashing your phone in right. the parking lot. <laughs> well, certainly every time I go to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, I leave the phone at home. Um, but <laughs> that Geo Fitzing's been around a little bit now. That's not that's not too new, I guess. But it's people not. aren't but people yeah. aren't using it right. Well, that's right? yeah, that's the thing. You're right. The technology isn't new, but whether or not people are using it and if they understand how they can use it is probably a new thing, especially in the restaurant industry. Restaurant industry historically has been kind of a laggard as far as technology is concerned. You know, yeah. call for what you will. True story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. what do you, what does Zaxby use as far as like technology and you guys use anything you know, like anything else that nobody else uses or? No, we actually, uh, we, we have just started using technology. Okay. I, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm saying it jokingly, but I'm serious. Right. I, you know, when I came on board in November of 2020, I asked for, you know, one of the first three things I asked for was a development pipeline. And, you know, I love our team. And the, the lady who was the only remaining team member in the development department said, all right, well, I'm going to have to pull that from about a dozen different spreadsheets. And at that point in time, I realized that, Houston, we may have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, but, you know, I was able to make turn that problem into an opportunity. But, you know, we've, like, we, we used Buxton for six years. Okay. And, and they're, they're fine. Um, you know, I found that program to be extremely conservative. Okay. Um, what what I didn't realize was that our marketing department was also using Buxton. Ooh. And so I'm like, whoa. And I just found that out like 90 days ago hmm. when the, when we didn't have Buxton anymore. <laughs> and marketing <laughs> called me and said, what the hell are we doing? Like, we need X, Y, and Z. And I, I'm like, oh, well, I, th- I think I've found yeah. out a lot of the marketing problems. <laughs> but um, – but no, we left hand meet right hand. Exactly. Yeah. So we've we've just implemented our updated analytics model. We still don't have a project management CRM. Mm. What? Yeah. We wow. it, it was but, you know, it's we were able to get to 900 restaurants over 30 years without that. Yeah, because so, the, so, the brand was always enough. Right. So yeah. so I yeah. look at it as holy shit. If we have this, can you imagine what we can do? Yeah. Um, so we're, we're in the final phases of implementing uh, a CRM. Um, and, and we've never had a chief technology officer. Well, Zaxby's has got great food. Let's be real. I mean, for what it yeah. is, I mean, yeah. Yeah. that salad is the best salad I could ever it's, have. Salads are fantastic. Dude, yeah. I love that thing. They're, so I think they rolled out four years ago, maybe. Yeah. And ever since they have, they haven't dropped out of the top five yeah. in terms of our menu popularity. Guarantee it. Um, because I mean, think about it, like, uh, like a family can go, yep. you know, that the kids are going to eat like crap and they can, <laughs> but the parents yeah. are, can eat healthier. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and being that you can get mm-hmm. the salads either grilled or fried. Mm-hmm. It's great. It has. I mean, that's, and I hope that Zaxby's never changes their menu because I think that's really what sets it, you know? Yeah. So we might, we might tweak it here and there, but I mean, we're still, I mean, there is a lot of basis of the brand that's built around the menu. Yeah. So it's yeah, great. I mean, I mean, you know, your, yeah, your logo's got a chicken on it. <laughs> I mean, we, we start changing the menu too much. We're going to have a big problem. <laughs> yeah. You have to add a cow on there and a pig. How about doing lasagna roll? What? <laughs> so one of the things I want to talk to, and, and we, we talk about franchising, right? And so what are some of the landmines that you see, and I know that you've been doing this a long time, so you've seen a lot of franchise owners over the years and, and being what you did. What are some of the landmines you could tell somebody to avoid when, you know, looking to open a franchise that you could think of? You know, uh, simply put, 
you know, 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 know your limitations. Okay. Um, you know, we've got, in our organization, we have certain financial guardrails that we, we look for to, for anyone to even be a franchisee, regardless of how many restaurants they want to develop. Um, but, you know, we, we have new franchisees that come on board that say have, you know, a million five in liquidity. Right. That would get them with us. That would get them a, a four unit development agreement. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have franchisees that have 40 million in liquidity mm-hmm. that aren't as good of an operator as that smaller guy, mm-hmm. but they think they would be because, you know, they've got this huge infrastructure or, you know, they're, they built a real estate empire and they've, you know, they've got, you know, boatloads of real estate that they'd love to plug a Zaxby's on or, yeah. or whatever. Um, on the flip side, you know, know that as a franchisee, you're, I mean, you've got to be ready for hard work. Yeah. I mean, it's, especially nowadays with labor being the way that it is, yeah. we have franchisees that every day are, you know, just lamenting about, Hey, I'm I'm working in my restaurants for the first time in 20 years. Yeah, I was going to ask how many of your your franchisees are actually under the roof, you know. So, so it's funny because back in I think um October, I was I, I we were trying to get a deal done with a franchisee in in the Greenville market and you know, we pitched him this great site and he's like, "Hey, he's like I just he's like I can't do it. Like I I'm working in my restaurants." I can't imagine having to hire more people. Mm-hmm. The labor crisis is killing me. Yeah. And so the next week I'm down in Jacksonville meeting with our franchisee down there. And I was like, Hey Ron, how's the labor crisis, you know, affecting you? He's like, I don't have a labor crisis. And, and so we talked about it and you know, this franchisee in Jacksonville has been able to build a, an organization tailored around operational excellence mm-hmm. and we have we have other franchise we have a franchisee in raleigh who has the highest performing restaurants in the entire system wow mm. um he's an <clears throat> he's an older guy he's probably one of the best people in life that i have ever met mm-hmm. but he walks mm-hmm. into his restaurant and he knows you know he looks and see who the who the chicken cook is that day mm-hmm. and he knows exactly how many kids that person has and what their names are, and probably what their birthdays are. And he, that's him across his entire organization. Yeah. And that, that chicken cook very likely has about three weeks paid vacation mm. and is on a bonus structure. See and that. so he doesn't have a labor crisis. But, you know, the, the QSR segment in general, mm-hmm. I think, has kind of rested on its laurels from an operations and, and, and labor standpoint for a long time. And now that you've got this changing face of employment kind of across the board, yeah, you know, you can't you can't just bank on the fact that somebody has to work so they're going to take your job. Yeah, I, and and I don't understand it, and I'm probably not meant to understand it. No, the, well, you're right. The traditional model of QSR is just not working, right? But the ones that have adapted, right? Like mm-hmm. like you said, you know, it's the it's not just the environment and treating your employee, but if they feel vested into the business, yeah. They're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. You know, you, you think about that. If he is giving him a bonus structure, right, 
it's, you know, when you walk, and you walk, I don't want to say names, but you walk into some of these QSRs, it's hourly wages, you know, you get out, you're done, and they're like, they, they're crap, you know, it's just, it's just turnover, it's attrition after attrition, you yeah. know? Well, it's yeah. a different mindset, it's, it's paying people for what you know they think they're worth versus paying them for as little as you possibly can. Yeah, but I mean, look, I, I believe this. I believe people, you know, money is monetary, right? But people have to enjoy what they're doing. They have to feel a part of something, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, yeah. if if a bonus structure makes them feel part of it, or they feel a part of a team, feel a part of, a, of an environment, mm-hmm. you know, they might make a little less. They could probably go over next door and get a job making ten thousand dollars more. But if they feel like they're a part of something, they're not going to go over there, right? I think we Absolutely. can we can agree with that. And I think in the QSR, they've dropped that ball. Dramatically, and it's been that way, you know. As the kids, we grew up, man. You know, where you where your first jobs at McDonald's or, or Burger King. You know, you're right. you're working and you're working the grease, you're working the fry pit, or you, you know, what I mean, it's 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 horrible. Let's just be real. Let's just call yeah. it out what yeah. it is. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But it, you know, it, it, you know what these guys they work for these certain types of GMs, right? Yeah. And they're like this GM, is, and you always wonder why. How's that GM been there for twenty years, and the staff's been there for 15, 20 years? How are these guys getting by working at a QSR? You know, yeah, you're saying they feel part of something, right? That's exactly right. Well, and I think too, you know, I I drove by McDonald's, I can't remember where, and there was a banner out front that said uh, something something to the degree of like hundred dollar interview bonus. Yeah, it's like, all right, you know, if 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 I'm looking for a job, and am I going to go interview at McDonald's where they're literally paying anybody who walks in the door a hundred dollars just to interview? That tells you something about the culture of what you'd be walking into. Absolutely. Like that sign that says, get paid every day. Yeah. yeah. You know that's, I mean? a, that's a McDonald's sign. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I saw one in the Wendy's, too. I was like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm calling these brands and I'm going to get in trouble. But that's okay, <laughs> you know. But seriously, you know, you get paid the next day or get paid every day. Yeah. I mean, you're just asking for somebody to walk off the street and work and just, just leave. We'll, we'll, we'll invite their uh, heads of uh, development on here to defend themselves. Yeah. Well, but it, yeah. So it's it's funny. I was at uh, – I was at – Retail Live in uh, Charlotte last week. Okay. And I had lunch uh, at a table, and I was sitting next to the <clears throat> North Carolina and South Carolina real estate manager from McDonald's. Okay. And so I said, hey, man, like, what what are you all doing for development? Yeah. He said, well, I'm doing a lot. You know, I'm, I'm we're going to open, you know, probably 100 more locations in North Carolina and South Carolina this year. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm like, where are you going to put them? There's our, they're where already are you everywhere. Go? <laughs> yeah. And who are you going to hire? Yeah. And, um, you know, they, and their model from a real estate standpoint is, is actually very, very efficient and very, very beneficial from a site selection standpoint. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm just like, okay, like, all right, I, whatever. It's crazy. Yeah. And those systems aren't cheap to get into either. And they're very no. selective. Very. Yeah. Very. That, that's the roadmap that many. In North Carolina, on top of what they already have? So, so North Carolina and South Carolina, they were – and I'm sorry, let me walk that back. He said 150 to 200 nationwide, a ton of which in the Southeast and the Carolinas. Yeah. But well, I'm like, I just – where are you going to go? Yeah, I mean, their, their, their store count growth is probably closely tied to population growth, right? So, like, Nashville or, or Charlotte's a big growing market. Right, and so it's probably cl- closely tied to. And they're probably looking at a lot of urban models, and you know, b- but you know, we're so so we're looking at doing. We're actually under construction with our first drive-through only prototype. I was going to ask you in uh, down in Birmingham, and th- that question came up, and he unequivocally said, "No, 
we will never go to drive through only. I'm like, really? I'm like, mm. okay. I, I I was I was very surprised. Yeah, but it, but I guess the other question is: is the market analytics do they make sense of that though? I mean, you look at Zaxby's though. Yeah. I mean, Zaxby's doesn't remind you of that though, right? You go into Zaxby's, it's got the you know the red barn looking. You know, people would think of it's like the golden arch. Right. I mean, I, I, I see Zax <laughs> <laughs> McDowell's. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Zax buys. <laughs> no, but I mean, I see Zaxby's honestly. I mean, in a rural market, I think they do extremely well. Probably like they're almost like there with, with some of the Walmart. Oh, we, yeah. So so. When I, when I joined the brand, I took a look at all of our portfolio, and I wanted to understand, you know, what worked and what didn't. Mm-hmm. And I saw a bunch of restaurants that at face value, yeah. like, first off, I never would have approved. Secondly, I never would have even thought to go into that market, and they crush. Mm. And, yeah. it's, and it's because in a, in a rural market, our brand serves as, like, the, the nice family meal out. Mm-hmm two to three times a week. Hmm. And so I get that. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and, and we still have, I get site submittals probably every month hmm. for, for markets down in Mississippi and Mississippi. We absolutely dominate the chicken market. Yeah. Um, really? Yeah, we do. And wow. it's, it's funny <laughs> every, t- every time we're on real estate committee and a site in Mississippi comes up, our, our CFO, I, I love him. His, uh, his response is, Yep, Mississippi loves chicken, and <laughs> and it's I mean it's true we do yeah. really well. Yeah, that's good. So and, and it's one of those things too, like you know we've we've been really successful with some you know potentially not so great real estate. Right. Um, yeah. We're trying to change that model. Well, I mean, what are your guardrails around growth and oversaturation, right? And so like if you're getting all these things for Mississippi, I mean, at, at what point do you say, yeah, this works, this doesn't work? I mean, honestly, we can. If we're if we're outside of five to seven miles from the nearest restaurant, we're not going to cannibalize. Depending on on population, yeah. I mean it's it, it's it's all dependent on that. Yeah, um, we're 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 nowhere near saturation outside of probably Atlanta, Birmingham. Um, really, Atlanta and Birmingham are probably the the closest to that saturation point. Yeah. So, like, like, let's talk, uh, like, bigger picture, right? So, yeah. you know, you're talking about Zaxby's, restaurant industry, franchising, you know, you being a part of the industry. Are there brands out there that you kind of keep an eye on that you're just like, I'm like, oh, like, those those guys, they're doing it right. That's that's pretty cool. I would have never thought to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, there there are a couple from a, uh, from a franchising standpoint that I'm really interested to, to watch how they grow. Uh, Slim Chickens is one. Yeah. Um, they, they, they just hit. I, I, I can't remember exactly what the, the the hot list was, but they were in some hot list on on QSR magazine. Um, they've signed a ton of development agreements, mm-hmm. uh, very strategically last year. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I look at I look at smaller brands a lot. I look at Torchy's Tacos and, mm. and what they're doing. They've got a new leadership team in place. Um, GJ Hart from uh, Texas Roadhouse was their uh, CEO. Just uh, stepped away from that right. late last year, but is still is still involved, I believe. Um, I, you know, I think I think the depending on the market, um, the the boutique QSRs are really doing a lot of cool things. Yeah, um, they're 
and they're the ones that are able to kind of look into kind of niche opportunities and cater one-off ideas to their customers. Um, it, it's tough for a 900 unit chain to, to kind of take a leap and, and, you know, do something different for yeah. their customers because we have to do it at such a big scale. Right. Yeah. It's an oil tanker moving in a certain direction. It's, right. it's a lot to turn it. Right. You know, in our, in our world, you know, full service, those, the, the buffets, those kind of guys, I mean, they're, they're, they're almost becoming dinosaurs. And I hate to say that, it's hard yeah. to see some of these full service prints coming out. I mean, I tell you a group that's growing. It's it's called Walk Ons. I'm sure you're oh. familiar with Walk Ons. Yeah, they're one of the very few in the full service spectrum that is even growing. Yeah, you know, do you see a transition where we're just strictly all fast casual QSR and then fine dining? I mean, do you think we'll get? No, to I I think there's always going to be that middle ground. There has to be, right? Um, you know, Walk Ons is a cool concept. They they um they are a sports bar themed restaurant. Yeah, but they still do 75% food. Yeah. So they don't consider themselves a sports bar, right? which allows them to really cater to families and that kind of thing. And I only know that because I, for some reason I remembered what the guy in that, in Charlotte said last week, but, um, <laughs> still fresh on the top. Of uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but they, you know, they're doing a lot of deals. Um, yeah, they're coming to Louisville. Yeah. I mean, we got, I talk with them all the time. Well, and I we work have, with them. and we have a walk-ons franchisee out of either, I think they're, um, they're in Shreveport, and because I know they're they're based down there. I yeah. think they're yeah. based they're in based Baton Rouge. No, yeah, yeah, in that area. Yep. And um, they they're interested in being a Zaxby's franchisee. Oh, that's so great. So we're talking to them about uh, uh, East Texas right now. Oh, that'd but, be great. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's always going to be that that middle ground between fine dining and QSR, or you know, we don't even we don't really even consider ourselves QSR. We consider ourselves quick casual. Because we've got, and that's that's a term that our founder Zach really kind of ingrained in the brand. Because, yeah, we're quick, but you know you can still come in and sit down with your family and have a have dinner, mm-hmm. and not feel like you know you're under the gun like you are at McDonald's to get in and get out. Yeah. Um. And like you want you want to sit down, you want to you know have that family dinner that you would have at home, but you're going to have it at Zaxby's or something. I like that quick like casual. That. And I've been this a long time. I never heard of that. Until no, now. yeah, I never have either. Yeah. And, I, and I think, and it's fun. And so I've never asked Zach about it, but I'm curious to know what his mentality was around quick casual versus fast casual, because I think there's a, there's a, a mental something yeah. between saying fast and saying quick. Yeah. Because fast, I th- fast, I think infers, a, a, like a, a, a reduced quality. Yeah. Quick is just, you get great quality, but you get it fast. Yeah. Or, a, yeah, you can, you get it quick and stay here as long as you want type Right. Thing. It's kind of yeah. like the John Wooden saying, hurry, but don't rush. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that. I did, yeah. I was starting something. That's pretty cool. Quick casual. That, that makes more sense. I mean, you know, when you get into it. Yeah. What if he trademarked that? It was like Zach's casual or something like Zach's that. Zach's quick casual. Quick <laughs> Quick casual. <laughs> Zach's, well. Zach's casual. Yeah. I won't I won't ask you to say that five I don't know. times. He, he's no longer the CEO, so he uh, I, he's he's got a bunch of time on his hands. So yeah. I, uh, are they involved in other brands? No. 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 He uh he's 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 a revolutionary guy. He um he and I so my first when I when Vanessa, my boss, brought yeah. me down to Athens to interview, um he was my first interview and, and very rarely if ever is your very first interview with the company with the CEO. Yeah. And, um, 
I walked into his office and beautiful office and he, he's an impeccable dresser, just a hundred percent put together. Yeah. And he and I sat down and it was probably one of the best conversations I've ever had with an executive. Yeah. It, it could have been, it could have been more informal, more thought provoking, more personal. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we talked, we like talked about my experience. We talked about what I'd done. He didn't have a copy of my resume, but he knew it. Yeah. And, you know, he wanted to know about me and know about my family. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's when I'm like, all right, this is where I want to be. Yeah. And because yeah. of like, if the guy at the top is like this, everybody else has, in my mind, had to follow suit. And that's what I found. Yeah. That's a cool way to do it because like you said, ordinarily the, the order is the opposite. Yeah. But, but that's a good way to control, not control. That's probably a bad way to put it, but to, you know, reinforce or instill, you know, what the founder, what the owner, what the person right. who's actually running. Well, that's know, good. You got to him like you, as quick as you did. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, let me, so and I'm going to ask you the, the hard question here. <laughs> so what's the transition over from, from having with Zach being the owner to Goldman Sachs? Uh, so, uh, it's been different. Okay. Um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've worked with private equity before, okay. so it's, it's nothing that I am, am not accustomed to. Right. Um, what I would say is the brand itself, it's been a wake up call is not the right word, but you know, for, for a brand that was really a, f- a family environment yeah. for 30 years, that environment's still there, but not at the top. Yeah. Um, and and not certainly from an ownership standpoint. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I was just speaking with somebody today, and I said, you know, the accountability meter went from zero to 100 miles an hour overnight. Yeah. And, and I understand that, but, you know, it's and it's not only the, the company. Our, our franchisees have never been held accountable for anything. and. Right. It's like, all right, well, you're going to miss your development timeline. That's okay. You know, we'll we'll figure something out. Right. And, it, and it, I mean, obviously, by our sales and our profitability, it's worked. But it just doesn't work that way in the private equity arena. Yeah. Um, but we have a new CEO now, uh, Bernard Acoca. He came over from um, El Pollo Loco mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. Um, I know that there was, there was probably a lot of anticipation around, you know, the first new – management style at the top in 30 years mm-hmm. he's been fantastic yeah. um very you know I, i'm sure he is drinking from a fire hose and then some mm-hmm. but he's you know from what i can tell he is very culture first people first okay. transparency based um very very knowledgeable in growth but very um focused on smart growth mm-hmm. which is good um yeah. you know it it puts some guardrails around certainly what I'm doing, but it's a heck of a lot safer and smarter than somebody coming in and saying, Hey, do whatever you want. Yeah. Which would be fun until it's not. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Until they start asking why you did all these things. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, here's the positive, right? I mean, if you can keep the culture, right. But influx, the, 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 the missing pieces that were there. Yeah. It's a recipe for serious success. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. Well, and, and so we've been a brand who, never hired outside of Athens, Georgia until me. Wow. And so I was, I was the brand's first remote employee and, um, (laughs) and thank God for, for my boss, Vanessa Fox and, and her saying, look, 
this is who I want to bring in. He's not moving, and I don't need him to. And the leadership team agreeing with her. Um, because it actually it's opened doors for us to hire design managers yeah. who have come from brands like RBI and Inspire, yeah. um, hire construction folks in throughout the country. Um, I have a real estate manager of Minneapolis, and we don't even have a restaurant in Minnesota. Yeah, but she's really good. Um, so it's it's really, you know, we kind of needed this period of transition to take us not all the way to the next level, but at least start to get move us in the right direction. So let me understand, what is it exactly you do? Do you work with the franchisees and helping them fight sites? Or do you, what, what is that, I guess, what is your core function? My core function is to basically um, design the strategy for our growth. Okay. And then manage a team and processes that assist franchisees in executing that growth strategy. Got it. Mm. Wow, so you and, definitely have some franchise knowledge. There you go. And and I'm also, what I found is, you know, we, we have our own franchise recruitment group, but what I've been able to do is leverage my 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 relationships in. To sweet wheat. <laughs> damn sweet wheat. <laughs> Shit, it's good. Getting get all tongue-tied. Uh, yeah, cheers, right. cheers to that. Um, it only took, what, 40 yeah, whatever time it is. We're not um, counting. Don't worry. Um, so, uh, so I've actually been able to leverage my my relationships within commercial real estate, and help. Excuse me, help us identify who potential new franchise groups might be. And so, okay. right on my way over here, I was on a call with our head of franchise uh, recruitment and a brokerage group out of New York, and they were introducing us to a, a restaurant group out of Wichita. Okay. So they're huge multi-unit operators, and they don't have anything in QSR right now. Mm. And they love the chicken space. So yeah. So you know, you're talking about utilizing previous you know relationships. What about any relationships you had with like any of like the big box, <clears throat> you know, stuff or other brands that you worked with? You find your paths inter- interjecting. Um, you know, from from a brokerage and development standpoint, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're actually we're trying to work with uh, Hendon Properties out of Atlanta mm-hmm. to uh, to do some deals in Memphis for our franchisee there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known Charlie Hendon and his team for a long time. Um, brokerage, you know, basically all of my relationships started with that job. Yeah. And so I've just built on that over time. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is like, you know, one job leads to the next, those relationships lead to the next, and it's, 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 absolutely amazing yeah. how it works. Yeah, real estate has a funny way of, of doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? She's tears, right? Yeah. Your relationship and building that. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Supply chain, does that really hit Saxby's? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It um, From everything from chicken yeah. to packaging to wow. the the steel that we build our buildings with. Yeah. To, I mean – you name it, it's it's been an issue, and so we we brought uh, we brought a guy on board uh, last year, uh, Keith Anderkin. He was uh, in supply chain with Arby's, I believe. Yeah, he actually grew up in Lexington, um, huh. and uh, yeah, he's he's been phenomenal. Um, you know, we've we're a brand that's never bought anything in bulk. Um, yeah. We've never leveraged our size to to buy kitchen equipment at a hundred restaurants at a time. Wow, and so. He's bringing that kind of experience to the table, and um, it's it's paying off. I mean, it's it's a it's a hard thing for everybody these days, and it is. It's just 
it's nothing that anybody, frankly, could no. have ever, you know, thought about ahead of time. Oh, it, you look at chicken prices. I mean, you know, if you didn't buy a bunch of bulk before, I mean, it's it's well, it's caught up now. Mm-hmm. I mean, where are chicken prices right now? I mean, are they still through the roof? Are they coming back down, or do we know? Prices are through the roof. Supply supply is through the floor. Yeah. Um, but you know, and, and it's funny, like. Through this job, I've learned more about chicken than I ever thought I would have. Yeah. And Do you have a chicken farm yet? Not yet, but <laughs> that, that may be a better that may be a better way to make a dollar. Um, but one thing that I've learned is that you know Chick Fil A has been able to weather a lot of this because they buy the entire bird yep. and they use the entire bird, whereas we are just buying you know the wing or the tender, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, So we're trying to figure out a way to, you know, take the breast and do things with that or take, you know, take the leftovers from, you know, however the, the tender is cut and, you know, maybe develop a popcorn chicken for kids. Yeah. You know, it's things that I've never thought about ever that, you know, I still continue to be educated on. How much does it cost to build a Zaxby's right now? Um, I, and, and I'm not talking about the real estate. I'm just talking about just construction. Costs. All in, all in, like, like tables and chairs. That yeah, kitchen. Equipment. I mean, you know, exclusive of the real estate, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of a million eight. Okay. Wow. What was it about a year or two ago? Mm, well, it's it's tough to to quantify that because, frankly, we we never track the data well enough. Okay, and, and so I could say that it's always been somewhere. Million six, million eight, and and what yeah. we're building today is different than what we were building then. So right, that's true. it's hard to do an apples and apples comparison. But you know we're we're seeing construction prices higher than ever. We're we've actually uh, shrunk the size of our building. Yeah. Uh, we've redesigned our kitchen a number of times. We're really trying to gain efficiencies through that. Um, you know we're we we took our existing prototype and we were at the time that Vanessa and I joined the company. We were developing a new prototype. And we've actually taken those two, blended them together, and that's what we're building today. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in development of a new prototype, which is kind of our go-forward prototype. We're calling it the Farmhouse Americana. And that will be what we build in large part going forward, probably in 2023 and beyond. Um, and, and it's all about efficiency. It's all about trying to squeeze as much product and as much throughput through the kitchen, through the drive through through the dining room as possible. I mean, we, we still have franchisees that want to build a 90 to 70 to 90 seat restaurant. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what was the, what's the average seats? And I mean, today, I think the average, the average size of a dining room is probably 70 seats. And, wow. and you know, we're trying to, we're trying to scale that back to 50 or 60. That's a big, quick cash. One, you know, when you think about it. You I know? mean, I walked into a 90 seat restaurant that opened in, um, I think it was in St. Augustine and it was enormous. Mm-hmm. But in talking to the franchisee, he's like, "Look, man, Saturday, Sunday, this thing is packed." Yeah, and he just he knows his customer, which is awesome because I don't know his customer. Yeah, but um, but it's it's tough to see those come across. Like, mm, you really want to? I mean, it tax on a fair amount of square footage um, when you know we're still doing seventy four percent, seventy six percent of our business through drive through. Wow. Do you guys have an app, right? You guys are ordering through the app now? Or? We do. It's actually under redevelopment right now. Is and it? so we've we, we brought in a chief technology officer who subsequently lives in Louisville. 
Um, okay. He was a he was a former. Uh, I believe he he was with Papa John's. Maybe he he's been he's been instrumental in turning us around digitally. Right. And um, he's an awesome awesome guy. And um, so we're we're redesigning the app, redesigning the the company website, um, really trying to bring us up. You know, from from here to here, and uh, I know this is not good for radio or podcast, but um, <laughs> from uh, the bottom to the top, from the bottom to the top, yeah, it's and, uh, up, uh, bottom to down, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's that's that's the future. I mean, you yeah, know, I mean, you get rewards order. on your app, yeah, you get, you yeah, get, you know, you, you collect your points, you get your, you next thing you know, you're getting free chicken. Well, and and that loyalty app, <clears throat> excuse me, is is how we track our customer behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a benefit to the customer, but it's a huge benefit to the company. Yeah, I mean it's all about data. Let's be realistic now, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean that's where we're all going yeah. with everything. And, and I'd be interested to know too, like, are you doing that because you know just from a market perspective, restaurants have found that customers are are lagging in adopting technology um, slower than they were hoping that they would, or are, are you doing it more so for that, or just because what you already had? Uh, you know that it needed improvement. I think we're actually seeing the inverse. I think I think that we have been slower to adopt technology than the customer has. Interesting. So you know we need to catch up to where the customer is today. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I see all these IPOs out from these uh, you know like restaurant <laughs> technology uh, companies, and they're just saying you know like other oh, people are slow to adopt and. No. Yeah, that's interesting. But but you know what that does, though? That speaks to your brand being a leader in the space and not like everyone else. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I, I hate keep keeping going back to Chick-fil-A, but, you know, they've done a great job with their app and their loyalty program. Yeah. Um, they may not be the gold standard, but, you know, they they kind of have shown us the the path that we need to go. <clears throat> excuse me. Go yeah. go along. Yeah, makes sense. You know, the thing, you know, just just on a personal note, if I was going to app a, a quick, quick casual or fast food, I don't know if I would actually use an app for that because it's made so fast. Why would I want it to be cold when it gets me in the car? Like if I'm on my app, you know yeah, what I mean? And uh-huh. I'm 15 minutes away. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want it sitting there for 15 or, or 12 minutes before I get it. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Well, I guess if you are going to use the app and it says it's going to be ready in 15 minutes and the timing is perfect. That's it. I guess it's all about timing on it. Yeah, but you have to have yes. an intelligent, you know, right. you have to have That's data. where geofencing comes into play on Well, that. yeah, there's yeah. there's that, and you have to have applications that exist in the store that provide those types of analytics that can be communicated right. to consumers. Well, and, and we're we're looking at further evolving our drive-through experience. Um, we're, look, we're looking to partner with a digital menu board company. Yeah. That basically menu boards are just vertical TVs, but – where, where the, the juice is, is in the data behind it. Because when you pull up to the drive-thru, that menu board will basically backdoor into your loyalty app. Mm-hmm. And it will tailor what's on the menu to what you have ordered in the past. Yeah. And it will actually suggest order parameters based on what you've ordered in the past. That's all AI. That's AI, that's AI yeah. technology. It's, yeah. it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, and how and do it, they tie the the person driving the car to that face cell recognition? Cell phone. So cell all phone. the geofencing. Well, facial recognition is part of it, yeah. but the majority of it is cell phone data. 
See, that shit's got to catch up, though, right? And it's expensive to get that kind of stuff. It is. and but Yeah, but it, if you take your drive-through time from a minute and a half to, right. to 40 versus right. industry leader 46, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the the potential for sales growth is enormous yeah. through that kind of thing. And not only sales growth, but just throughput. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if I pull up to the drive-through and the drive-through board knows who I am and can spit out, you know, a customized menu based on what my kids and I have ordered in the past, and it can tell the person working the drive-through who I am and what I've ordered in the past, they can, they know who I am. They know how they can upsell me yeah, because they know maybe what I've bought in the past. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, ta- I had a, you know, back in my tech days, <laughs> there was a guy, he was, a, I guess, a colleague of mine and he was working with a group that was inventing AI for full service restaurants to see behavior as they walk into yeah. a restaurant. You know, you could tell if the customer's experience is what they like, the whole entire, just basically reading that, and the AI was taking that into consideration, whether or not, whether or not they were going to order an app or, or if they were to order a, a dessert or mm-hmm. drinks, you know. And, and I was like, man, that's just, that just doesn't make sense. But you think about machine learning and how it's, how it's adapted, you know. Yeah. It's probably more adaptive in the, in the quick casual space or than it probably would be in a full service space. Well, you know? yeah, because full service is more about the experience. Quick casual is more about getting what you want as quickly as possible, how you want yeah. as quickly as possible. Well, I mean, it turns, do you want fries with that into, would you like the same size fries you got last time? <laughs> <laughs> what, if they could do, what if they could do that at like, uh, like, like, well, thanks Bob. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if they like turn that into like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, you know, think about like normal places that you go to, right? Like you sit down at a, bar you walk in or something yeah. like that at like a like a hotel bar and it's like that you don't because you want that personalized service and so maybe it's a nice place and there's still the bartender is a face you recognize but they're aware that you're there you sit down and, yeah yeah i mean the fine dining especially right because you're spending a shit ton of money to go in there and to have an experience and great food yeah yeah that's where that that's, would come into play yeah, really heavily. yeah that's where i'm trying to go with that question thing yeah, yeah like if that yeah. waiter at roos chris knew what your order history has been, who you've been, who, who the, your guests have been in the past. Yeah, that's the application in the clientele yeah. that would really appreciate. That. Yeah. yeah, what you're paying for, right? Right. I mean, yeah. the shit's getting off the roof, anyways, with inflation. You know, might as well get something for it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no joke. <laughs> now think about it, though. I mean, are you, have you guys done a menu like price increase, or is that based on the franchisees? How does no, that? No, it's we we have we haven't recommended that across the board. Some right. have, some haven't. Um, we've got we have recommendations. Yeah. Um I don't I don't know what it's going to look like in the future, but yeah, it, the the market's not going in the right direction to to not warrant something like that. Yeah. And I I think I really do think everybody else is. I mean, I, I look at yeah. I, I look at when I got takeout at Mojitos a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I, I was wonder I I couldn't remember how many people I ordered for based on the bill. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. see the independents, yeah. they do that. I mean, they, they have yeah. to increase it because they don't, they're not buying what, like, like, you know, bulk like that. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, at the, the end of the day, but I mean, hell, I mean, over here at McDonald's over here, I mean, that's gone up $2. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not kidding. It has. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I, Dylan, how much was it for like a, a combo meal? I mean, how much does that thing run? Like $9 now, $10? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, if you, how much is, how much is the, the salad over at Zaxby's right now? Is that around 12 probably? Man, 
Uh, I don't want to call I, you on the spot on that. No, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm honestly not sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, but I mean, you know, you, you have to look. I mean, you, you can't, you know, you got to, unfortunately, you got to, here's the thing, right? You want to pay somebody $15, $20 an hour. Well, they're going to have to, it's, it, the menu is going to, is going to have to reflect that. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's just, I mean, it just well, is. At the end of the day, people are in the business to, for business, right? And that means making money. Right. So, yeah. Well, it's and if, and if you're going to, if you're going to take that price, then you better be able to translate that into the same degree of service that you yeah. had before. Like pe- people aren't going to pay 3% extra, whatever it's yeah. going to be and still have lackluster service and product. You know, that's a good point that you make up though too, because prices are increasing and people are increasing prices, but then the labor force shortage. And so, so things are costing yeah. more and they have less people working it and the quality is going down. And I think that has a, a big impact on these too. brands. So these brands, they're, they're, you know, they're scrambling and they're saying, okay, well, how do we counteract these things within the confinements of things that they can control? Right. It's, it's a, it's a unprecedented time. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You can't even grow a restaurant right now, not because you just don't have the money to do it or you don't have the location to do it. You don't have the labor to do it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's stop. That's hindering every restaurant owner out there, every restaurant group out there. It's not the location. It's the growth path. It's, right. it's the labor issue. Who am I got to run it? You know what I mean? And, and that's what I hear from a lot of our franchisees. Like I would love to grow. Yeah. But I can't because I don't, I don't, I can't spread myself to another restaurant because I'm already working in four. Yeah. 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 No, it's interesting. Yeah. We're working with a, a group uh, in Indiana and that's in, you know, the guy was saying, it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'll sell my one restaurant because I opened up another one and one's, you know, more profitable yeah. and I can't run two because he's, he's in there from open to close seven days a week or yeah. six days a week. Do you think we'll get to a point where QSR is completely almost one or two people? It's all automated. I mean, how many shows have we been to over the past 15 years where you've seen the mechanical arm flip the burger over? Yeah. And, uh, I don't, and, you yeah. know, I mean, do we think we'll get to that point? Um, in just my opinion, I think there people go out to eat for a certain part of like uh, service, right? So I don't think 100% will get away from those things. I think we'll get as close to we possibly can, you know, over the next five, 10 years. And I think some concepts, they, they will be 100% automated, but there will be brands that uh, uh, eventually we talked to the beginning value proposition-wise, their yeah. value proposition would be like, we have people in our stores, <laughs> you know? Well, I think it's certainly, if that's ever going to happen, it's going to be back a house. Yeah. You're, you've always got to have that person at the cash register, assuming assuming there's still cash and assuming there's still <laughs> registers. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you guys right. have kiosk? I never asked. No. You no, don't have the We kiosk. have not gone there, and that's that's honestly not something that – to my knowledge, we've even talked about because it's that that customer to employee yeah. you know interaction that we frankly we do really well at. Um, but yeah, I mean, back a house, I can see that happening. Yeah, in, in a lot of countries in Europe and stuff, it is all automated. Like when I was in New Zealand, Domino's had one person working in it. Took yeah. our order, they prepared the pizza, put it on this assembly line, literally. And then the pizza came off the end. They grabbed it, put it in a box, and handed us. One person was working there, and then delivery drivers who were in and out. Interesting. And all their McDonald's, everything else is all kiosk. You don't talk to anyone until you get your food. Makes you want to cook at home. (laughs) 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 Well, it's a lot quicker. It's a lot quicker. Like, you don't wait. Like, fast food in Europe, you you order on your kiosk, and then you watch your number come up, and then you grab it. It's it's yeah. a lot less waiting. Like you don't even wait to order. 
Yeah. That's how it is in like New York and Chicago, you know, bigger cities, you know, they have those kind of environments you just walk into. And and maybe, you know, us talking, that's like our market talking, you know, like if we, yeah, if, if the three of us were sitting, you know, somewhere else in a a far more populated area, maybe Mm -hmm. the conversation would be different. Oh, I think it totally would be. I mean, I think, I think we're, we look at whatever we've talked about today. We look at it through the lens of, you know, living in Louisville, Kentucky, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. or me working in Athens, Georgia, yeah. which, you know, love it down there, but it's, it's, it makes Louisville seem like a metropolis. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I'll tell you what, man, this has been, this has been great. I, been I, awesome. yeah, yeah, it really has. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, let me ask you this before I let you go. Yeah. All right. Any kind of words of, I guess, you know, we, we look back in retrospect, right? And you say, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. Okay. Is there anything that maybe, you know, along your path that you said, man, I wish I would have done this and not that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would have done this a little bit differently. You know, if somebody wants to get into either franchising or into corporate real estate, yeah. just something, you know. I wish I would have taken more risks. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I was always brought up a, a very risk averse person. Right. And I, and I, I've, I've kind of gotten a little bit away from that, but I'm still fairly risk averse. Um, but I think I would have, you know, in, in the, the time that I had before I had a wife and family, yeah. when I could, when I could have really made those leaps and really found my, my niche, not, not to say that it would have been any different than where I am today, Yeah. but you know, I, I would have taken those risks, um, when I could have, um, but you know, I think today, you know, f- find find what you love to do and who who embodies what that is and go work for them. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you want to be senior director of real estate at Zaxby's, that's awesome. But if that position is not available, find one that is, mm-hmm. even if it's not at Zaxby's or, or wherever your target is. Yeah. Um, you know, just... I never had the benefit of growing up and certainly in college of really knowing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I, I've, you know, to say that I've fallen into my, my career is not accurate, but I, ha- it, it wasn't done through any kind of strategy. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, developing a strategy of where you are today and where you want to get to in X number of years, what doing whatever that is, just map it out. I mean, it's, I, it's funny because I, I have one of my one of my former bosses. Um, she's she's still one of my best friends, mm-hmm. and she she's a big scuba diver. And she's she always said, "Plan your dive and dive your plan." Mm. And it's like it makes a lot of sense because you don't you, you can't figure out how you're going to get to from from X to Y mm-hmm. until you figure out what X looks like and what Y looks like. Yeah. So it's you know plan and then execute yeah however whatever it takes Hmm. that's good that's a very broad answer to a specific question but well no i mean not really it could be applied generally but but specifically if you have something already in the back of your mind so i appreciate that no but you know you think about business owners you know you have to have a business plan you got to have pro forma you've got to do all the right things to get in there Mm -hmm. and you can you can number it to death right but I mean, like, like we learned today, right? You, you gotta love what you're doing. You gotta have passion for it. Yeah. Take some risk. 
but have a plan and stick to the plan, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And so many times folks, whenever they do this, they don't do that. They're, they're missing one or two or three or even one or, or four, all four of them, right? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, well, well, sometimes, you know, people don't know that they need to do that, right? And right. So that's, you know, conversations like this, you hope guides them. In that Absolutely. Way. Well, and to your point, you know, probably the biggest thing I would say is do what you love. Yeah. Like, don't, if you don't love what you're doing, go figure out what that is and go do it. Yeah. Because you'll be infinitely more successful doing what you love for, for people who you love doing it for mm-hmm. than you ever would doing be doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I'm going to end on that. That's how I was, that was freaking great. Yeah. Good deal. Dropping knowledge. <laughs> Dropping knowledge. Boom. <laughs> 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 that sweet wheat. That, was, that sweet wheat's really good. Yes, sir. <laughs> sponsored by sweet wheat. Spo- yeah, sponsored by uh, sweet wheat. Uh, don't drink a draft. Don't drink a draft. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank man. you, I guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate Absol- it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yep. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the How To Business Show. And stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes. From all of us here, keep listening and keep sipping. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to know more about our real estate and business services, check out the links in the description, or you can email us at info at capitalconnectus.com. That's info at capitalconnectus.com. We will be posting content weekly, so make sure to tune in to all of our upcoming episodes and see you all next time.